Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Daily Grind. Today we have an exciting episode lined up for you with Jeff Dudan. Jeff is an entrepreneur, an unbelievable entrepreneur with an unbelievable story. So as always, enjoy today's episode, grab a piece of paper, a pen, sit back and dive deep in today's episode with Jeff Dudan. Enjoy. Hey everyone, just before we jump into today's episode, as you would have heard a couple weeks ago in our last episode, I was doing a podcast course that I was giving away to 20 people for a discounted rate, which is going to show you how to make money with your podcast. This is a super unique opportunity that I'm doing Um, and exciting news. I'm actually turning this into an online course. So the online course is in the makes. If you want to get on the wait list to get the very first special rate of this online course, just visit my website and email me directly. That is colinmorgan.biz, C-O-L-I-N-M-O-R-G-A-N.biz. Really looking forward to seeing you on the inside. Welcome back to the podcast. As I mentioned, today we're sitting down with Jeff, who's an undercover boss, seasoned business builder, and former college player who went to Florida to paint in the wake of Hurricane Andrew. Two years later, then launched AdvantaClean, a national restoration franchise that has over 240 locations in 37 states when Jeff exited the company back in 2019. If you've ever wondered why CEOs earn six-figure salaries and how you can do the same, Jeff Dudan has the answer in his newest book, Discernment. As always, everyone, today's episode, there are so many good nuggets involved. Make sure you have that pen, piece of paper, take something from today's episode. But without further ado, Please meet Jeff Dudan. Well, Jeff, welcome to the Daily Grind, my friend. How are you? I'm great, Colin. How are you? I'm fantastic. You know what? Any day I get to speak with Jeff is a good day for me, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I, I, I promise not to disappoint you. <laughs> you won't. You won't. Um, you know what? Let's, uh, let's take a step back. I, I kind of shared in the intro before this kind of who you are, what you do. Let's talk about like early days, Jeff. Um, where'd you grow up? Colin, I grew up outside of Chicago in Schaumburg, Illinois, which was a bedroom community to the city when we moved out there in 71 and uh, middle child of two brothers. And my dad was an engineer, had his own business for a while. And, uh, you know, my mom uh, worked uh, back then as well. And I grew up and was um, kind of an athlete, um, very mediocre, a disinterested student. So basketball player primarily growing up. And then when I was a junior in high school, I picked up uh, some football and stuck with that for a while. Interesting. What made you pick up the football? Well, we got a new coach in the high school and I hadn't really played before, but the guy came in and he wanted to throw the football. And before then it had been kind of a ground and pound game. And where do you go recruit athletes who can catch something better than the basketball team? So he, I was, we were running a, a full court one day. I looked up on the shelf above there and I saw the new basketball coach and he was just watching everybody play. And then the next day he came to my science class and the teacher happened to be the offensive line coach. So he came to the science class and pulled me out and said, I'd like for you to come out for the football team. We're going to be throwing the football and we need some people who can catch it. So that was really just that him taking that little bit of time to go out of his way and to come to the class. And when somebody asks you to do something, if you don't have a good reason not to, you might as well say yes, because half a life is showing up. So that's what I did. Okay. And what uh, what position did you start out in football? 
I started as a receiver and uh, fundamentally a horrible football player, just didn't have the right. years that everybody did. Yeah, you know, it, it's, it takes a little while. Football's scary. It's loud. First time you do it, you don't have the blocking and the tackling down. So, you know, I would run out there and catch some passes and fall down and, and whatnot. But we ended up with a really good team and a, and a quarterback that ended up playing in the NFL for a lot of years named Paul Justin. So oh, wow. if, you could, if you could run out and find a little spot, he could put it on you. And uh, we had a really good run and a couple of a couple of really good seasons there at the high school. And then from there, my grades, uh, I really didn't apply myself to my grades, but I, uh, so I, I ended up walking on to a, a school, University of Northern Iowa in Cedar Falls, Iowa, and uh, continued with my lack of interest in school, but school's a little bit harder. So after that first year and kind of getting a baptism of fire into a college football program with grown men when I hadn't really played yeah. for long, uh, and then coupled with a, a, a substandard academic performance, I think there must have been a meeting somewhere where everybody agreed that I shouldn't come back. So I went back home uh, to a junior college outside of Chicago called Harper Junior College. It was kind of a football factory and really honed my craft and got more serious about the grades. And from there, I was able to get a football scholarship out to Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina. Wow. What was the disinterest in school? I, I was kind of the same way, to be honest. I was kind of completely disinterested in that. What was that? What was that for you? I don't, it's interesting. I, I think it was just no expectations were set mm. and that I, I was very curious. So that led to a lot of extracurricular activities. I was a voracious reader. I love to read. As a matter of fact, my, my testing scores were quite high. Oh, really? And, yeah. And so I remember getting called in by the guidance counselor and he, he had my grade transcripts in one hand and he had my test scores in the other. And he looked at me and he said, these don't match. You know, <laughs> what are you what are you doing? And I don't know. I, I was, uh, you know, too, too. Uh, I was I, I must have been an angry kid or something. I was I think my dad used to call me a rebel without a cause. And so but it was just foolishness and trying to figure it out as best we could. Cool. So you go to Appalachian State. What uh, what did you take there for the remainder of the two years, right? You were a junior when you arrived? I, I was, but I, I ended up getting a, a four-year degree in five and a half years. A lot of a lot of the stuff I took didn't early, didn't didn't count, didn't translate, okay. didn't qualify. So, so I had a couple of years, but I had two years left of football to play. And I ended up enrolling in the business college. And I just thought that seems like the thing. And they had an accredited business school. And I remember walking into, uh, and, I, and I had, I had really uh, worked hard to kind of try to figure out what product, a productive life looked like. And mm -hmm. I, I remember walking into my first accounting 101 class as a, uh, a junior and taking the, the class and the teacher was giving me a hard time uh, about being an athlete. He would say, you know, the, we're talking about the SEC and it's that Jeff, that's the Sur Securities Exchange Commission, not the Southeast Conference. Gotcha. And he was busting me and, and all that. But I, I actually got one of the highest grades in the class on the first test. And he brought me up there. He said, man, you did really good on this. And honestly, I remember that was the first time in my life that I thought, you know, I might not be a complete idiot after all. And if I apply myself, I can study. I had good reading and comprehension skills, but I just hadn't really 
applied it. So, so I did that. And while I was there, I decided that I wanted to stay out there. It's a beautiful part of the country. I didn't want to go back home to Chicago, but I didn't have the financial means to, to really stay in food service or restauranting wasn't going to get it for me. So I started the painting business with my roommate. In the first year, we painted a few houses. And at the end of that summer, we met the property managers who managed the majority of the student housing. And we painted a few apartments. And the next summer, we arranged to paint a lot of apartments. So we stood up a business and we we recruited athletes who were there over the summer who wanted awesome. to stay and work out. And we would paint 15, 17 apartments in a day. And I wow. think the first over the summer, I think the first summer we made $56,000 and then the next summer we made 79 and back in 1990 and for really what amounted to six weeks of work, it was pretty good money. And for that was really my entrepreneurial bug and really excited about, oh man, this is fun. I can, I can build a business. I can, uh, I can recruit people to work in it. And, and that really, uh, so as I was finishing up my football career there, my entrepreneurial career was just starting. <laughs> and how long did you do that painting business for? We did it for three years. My brother, my younger brother was uh, washing cars at Schomburg Toyota. And uh, he, uh, you know, he needed somewhere to go. He was going to the same junior college. So he came out, got his North Carolina driver's license, went back and finished school and, and uh, came out so he could get in-state tuition. And uh, yeah, after smart. living there a year, right, it uh, worked in the system a little bit. But uh, <laughs> if, anyone, if anyone wants to take issue with that, it's uh, he did it, not me. The, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, but anyway, he came in, he took over the painting business. My partner's brother was there. He took over the painting business. And uh, Mike ended up getting a degree, worked the painting business, continued the work. He got a degree in accounting and he ended up as this chief financial officer of the Carolina Panthers. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So he, he took an opportunity and he, he did great with it. And uh, my partner and I uh, got a call at, in 92 after finishing up a painting season. And Hurricane Andrew had just devastated South Florida. And uh, somebody who used to work for us called and said, we need we need all the hands we can down here to help these people recover. So I told my girlfriend at the time, we'll be back in three weeks. And we jumped in our little truck and headed down to Florida. And three years later, we cut our teeth in the restoration industry and we had moved to central Florida and we had started a business in the restoration industry that would turn into what was the business I built for 25 years at VanaClean, uh, ending up with over 230 locations in 37 states. Wow. Your, uh, your partner during all of this, was he a, was he a teammate of yours? Like, was he a roommate? He was a teammate and a roommate. Yeah. And I think candidly, he just uh, he had a truck which qualified him to be a business partner, <laughs> and, and he was a little tired of me wearing all of his sweaters. So he, yeah, I showed up at school with like five T-shirts, and two of them had profanity on them. So I was not, I was I was a little unpolished, I would say as a as a as a lad. But uh, yeah, so we but but he he had some good skills, and and we got along well, and uh, we partnered in that business, and then we we started the restoration business together as well. Wow. So when you started that restoration business, you're in Florida, you're supposed to go down there for a couple months. What, what sparked you? Obviously like something kept you there. What kept you there and what, what kind of garnered your interest in that business idea? Well, regardless of anything I was doing in my life, I always had a passion to help people and it, what mm -hmm. lights me up and it, it still lights me up to this day is taking anything that I've learned 
and teaching it to other people and seeing them be successful with it. And we did it with the painting business. Our, our, my brother, so for example, I needed, I needed $5,000 to buy in. There was four of us that were going to start this restoration business. I needed five grand, didn't have it. So I, I took my four cylinder Toyota truck. I took it to the bank. We had been a good customer there at the local bank and they gave me a loan for $5,000 on the truck. I took the payment book, handed it to my brother and said, this is your truck when you get it paid off, you know, and I took the 5,000 and I went back down to, to Florida and that was my stake money to get into the business. Um, so, uh, but I've always, I've always enjoyed, uh, and, and that was really the first time I said, you know, I can create a business from nothing. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've learned that leaders, uh, true leaders can stand on nothing and create something. And so I, I learned that I could create a business and build a platform. I could teach it to other people. They could prosper with it. And, you know, I could get a little something uh, out of it as well. It's just kind of what franchising is. You, you help people become successful and uh, you get a residual or a royalty from it and uh, for the ongoing things that you do to, to keep them healthy and happy and in business. And so that was a big lesson for me. I, I, it was, I really learned how to create leverage inside of, inside of a business. And, and uh, yeah, so, so that's kind of what got me going down there. And then I always, I think that especially young people, everybody needs an adventure in life. Mm-hmm. And for me, coming from Chicago, not, a, not, a, not an upbringing where I had a lot of vacations or I ever went anywhere. Uh, the first time I flew on an airplane was when I was taking my, my college visits after oh wow yeah after my after my junior college i mean i got on an airplane and i mean it was like okay what's that noise so you <laughs> get on there but so i i you know i hadn't gone anywhere and to, to go out to the top to go from the the streets of chicago to this beautiful place with uh, uh cute girls that that talked interesting and you're on top of a mountain and you're you're there's all this forest and streams and everything around and playing football. It was just a, a, a real adventure. And then to go down to Florida and drive into the middle of a, of a disaster zone and to be able to, I just, I really got to where I liked showing up and figuring things out in a difficult situation and then helping people recover from that. So, so that's what I made my career doing. How long into AdvantaClean did you make the decision or you and your partners make the decision to start franchising? We initially hired our first franchise attorney to tell us the ropes in 1997. And you had started it in what year, sorry? 94. Got you. Okay. But over really soon after we started the business, one partner left in 97. My business partner left in 2000. And then I bought my last partner out in 2004. And part of it was, is when we started in 94, 95, I came back to North Carolina to start our second location and get married. And we were really the thought leader and the opinion leader. I was dead set on doing something significant. I believed in the space that franchising was a really good business model to expand. There was precedent for it in in other companies. So I was really pushing hard to to come up with a model that was franchisable and understand what that looked like, build a business that would be good for people that they could operate. What we were doing was we were doing tens of millions of dollars of it, but it was complex. We were yeah. government contracting and, and it's not the kind of thing that a, a new franchise owner really could do. So we had to simplify the business and the thought leadership was really coming out of the Carolinas. And I think my last partner 
really wasn't interested in the risk or the change of, of really morphing the business into this new model and then expanding it through franchising. So, uh, but what's interesting is that uh, we were we were there and we had grown. We had a we had a really nice business going. It was profitable. I had taken over ownership of it. We had offices in multiple states. We had opportunities and national accounts. It was a really nice business. But after I bought my partner out, we responded to Hurricane Katrina in 2005. And I'll never forget that I was driving home uh, overnight in a camper that in a RV that we had that we would deploy with. And we ended up deploying into the Gulf Coast after Katrina for five years. And I was driving home after being down there for three months and, and setting up the storm response to, to catch in the middle of that to catch my son's football game. And I realized that that I was missing his first football season. And what I've come to believe, and I didn't fully internalize at the time, is that our true values are what we will tolerate, you know, and what we must have. Like, mm. so for me, growing up such as I did, maybe a little bit untethered, per se, uh, I really wanted to be present and I wanted to be home for my family. And that was just something that was super, super important to me. So I made a decision on that trip to, and I, some short time later, I called a, uh, I called a meeting and we had 44 people and, you know, hundreds of contractors working around. And I brought our executive team and I said, we're going to sell all of our company stores under the franchise model. Some of you might go with that. Some of you might stay, but that's what we're going to do. And we're going to commit to this franchising path because I felt like that would give me more control over my time yeah. and be able to replicate the business model. So in 2006, seven and eight, we sold all of our locations under a franchise model we did some really interesting things with call center and technology to because we were we had already started centralizing things before it was cool or easy to do so in in businesses like ours so we went to market with a pretty strong competitive advantage and uh, in 2009 we we went to the franchise market and from 2009 to 2018 we we placed 230 operating locations out there in 37 states and then January 1st, 2019, Home Franchise Concepts out of Irvine, California, bought the whole thing from us. Wow. What was that process like? Of like, Did you have ever in your mind and vision that you were going to sell it? Was that, an, was that an option for you? Not when you start it. Yeah. Not, when I, not when I started it, but as I became educated in the space. And you know, one, of the, uh, one of the things that a really good business leader that I respect a lot uh, would say, um, uh, J.D. Gibbs, he would say that, uh, what is, the, is, what is this the best decision we can make for the families that we're responsible for? Mm. And when we looked at where we were with AdvantaClean, we were doing extremely well. And the space was, uh, the space was rolling up. Service businesses were rolling up. And when you roll up into a, into a bigger brand, there's all kinds of things that your franchise owners theoretically are going to get in terms of support, uh, contracts, uh, opportunities to in customer acquisition. So I felt like at the time it was it was a good time for me being still young enough to do something else and to to figure out what that looked like. And also a good opportunity for the brand and the franchisees and their families and employees to join uh, a company that had big aspirations and a lot of resources. Very cool. So January 1st hits you, you, it was January 1st, right? You had sold? 
2019. Mm-hmm. Wow. So just over a year. So January 1st, January 2nd rolls around. Let's talk about that. Okay. So it's a new, it's a new age for Jeff. What, what, what did that look like for you? I mean, it well, doesn't seem like you're someone that kind of sits around and <laughs> puts your feet up on the couch, but what would, what, what was that like? It was, it was, it was fascinating. And I, and I had developed of an appreciation for coaching and mentoring. And I had some good people in my life to give me advice. And the advice is you're not supposed to do anything for a little bit and kind of let things settle in and, and figure out what's next because most people will want to try to do it bigger, faster and do the same thing again and fall back into that trap and not give themselves time to really think about what their purpose, you know, to, to drive deeper into your life purpose Mm -hmm. and to really, figure out where, what is the impact you want to make in the world? You, you know, you've already been on this treadmill. You've done one thing. This is a chance for you to really investigate, you know, is there a different purpose in your life? Are there different people out there that you can help or engage with or, or not, or, or is it a fishing pole? Who knows what, what it is for people. And, uh, so I took, um, you know, out of the respect for these people, I took three hours off and started a bunch <laughs> of businesses. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> what what was your what was your vision like obviously like you started in three hours what what did you start yeah i think you know i i just came up with another book title the uncoachable coach how about that (laughs) (laughs) just hit me just hit me i uh, what a horrible horrible student no so uh, what i i had come to appreciate uh business building in the franchise space and and believe that uh, the franchise uh, development piece of it, how to find great franchise owners and match them up with the, the right brands. And uh, so I think there was something around that that I had learned late in my career that I wanted to do more of. So I partnered with somebody to create a, a franchise sales organization. I, I also wanted to uh, work with CEOs and great founders and leaders. Mm-hmm. So uh, so I made some investments in some brands uh, that I'm able to have influence and have impact in and hopefully do a good job. Uh, making those brands uh, operate in a responsible quality manner. And, and then uh, some intellectual property. I, I wrote a book, uh, spent the year writing a book called Discernment, which is the business athletes regimen for a great life through better decisions, where I tell some stories, but I really fundamentally take a look at uh, the intentional process of, uh, of acquiring wisdom over time. Mm. And what are the fundamental building blocks that if I'm a young person and I want to Incre- improve my business making uh, prowess because there are no absolutes in business. It, nothing is 100% and anything can go to zero. And the quality of your decisions, the batting average that you make over time in your life, it determines the quality of your life and the success of your business. So how do you, you know, I think Warren Buffett said, you know, look at your look at your investments as if you only get to make 20 your entire life. I mean, wow. really, Smart. yeah, well, I, I, I hear he's quite bright, actually. Yeah, he does all right. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's, <laughs> he's all right. So he, I think that, uh, you know, so, so what I really tried to do in the book was to create uh, what are the fundamentals that you're going to train on? If you want to be a better basketball player, you're going to work on your left-hand dribble, your crossover, your footwork, all of these things, your, your backswing, your follow-through, if you're, whatever it is in golf. So what are the fundamentals that you were going to, if you're going to apply that to your life and that you're going to train on and what are the models of thought that you lay opportunities against to make decisions 
And how do you assess the scenarios, the potential outcomes that you've got from that? So is it, you know, I talk about values. I talk about having a personal balance sheet that includes things like relationship equity, where you, you know, what are you doing to intentionally build equity in the relationships that matter in your life? And how do you, how do you measure that? And what does that mean? So concepts like that, that I've always just made up or thought about or internalized just over 20 years in business and, yeah. and I collected. So I just, I laid, um, uh, I laid those against examples and stories in my life to try to keep the narrative going and then uh, really show how all of these different tools helped me to make hopefully better decisions over time. Very cool. So coming from one experience to working with a lot of business owners, CEOs, leaders, there are a lot of people are listening who kind of want to get into that stage, right? They're, they're wanting to start that business. Maybe they're in it, but they're looking to grow. What have you found in terms of fundamentals, uh, say in business, what really helps someone say early stage entrepreneur, what should someone be focused on? Like wh where should their attention be? Reading. Hmm. And what type of books would you recommend? Uh, there's actually in the back of my book, there's a list broken out oh, by cool. category, but you know, oh, principles wow. look like principles by Ray Dalio. My or, favorite. Yeah. Uh, you know, just, you have to, you have to build a toolkit of things that you constantly put and you have to control your inputs mm -hmm. and track your outputs. So we, especially with social media, how much stuff just b goes right through our eyeballs and our ears and just impacts on our brain and distracts our brain from the kinds of things we should be talking about. So controlling your inputs and making sure that that you have the right percentage of things that you can collect and put in buckets that you can draw on over time to create your models of thought and your beliefs about how you execute on your business. Those are important things. I think you have to you have to strike a balance in your life uh, and maybe it's under the category of sacrifice or self-sabotage, but what's your, what's your balance between creation and consumption? What do you, cons when, are you when do you know when you're consuming? Do you know when you're, when you're creating, do you know when you're on purpose and what are the types of things that light you up? When do you know that that light switch is on and you're on purpose for me doing this show, which I appreciate the opportunity is on purpose because it gives me the opportunity to provide, to provide, value for others and to encourage entrepreneurs mm -hmm. and to con connect dots from what I've learned. And that's really my purpose is encouraging entrepreneurs and connecting dots for people based on the experiences that I've had in my life. And, and if I'm doing that, whether that's in a company or an emerging franchise brand or any entrepreneur, then, uh, then I'm, then I'm on purpose. So, uh, but I've had to, but I've, I've collected through experience and then through, through uh, curiosity and reading, this uh, this large inventory of things that I can draw upon that can help other people or help me make business decisions or assess opportunities. So if somebody wants to continue to incrementally improve as an entrepreneur, then it's it's that compound effect. It's it's yeah. over time. You don't really have to be in a hurry. Do you have to grind? Absolutely. But you can be quick about it and not in a hurry. So true. And it's so funny, right? Because entrepreneurship is one of those, it's one of those spaces where I, I equate it to or, or compare it to sports. You'll kind of agree with this. Like you, you, entrepreneurship, one day someone can just be like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. 
Like you can't do that with other things. You can't, I can't wake up tomorrow and be like, you know what? NFL looks nice. I like those paychecks. I'm going to go and be an NFL athlete. Like it doesn't work that way. Like you can have some physical attributes, much like in sports, you can have some attributes that help you in entrepreneurship, but really it takes time and it takes learning. And ultimately, like, I feel like, you know, speaking with you and other really, really successful entrepreneurs, like they view themselves as lifelong learners. Like they're, they're not, they don't have all the answers. You're, you're looking to learn more than you're looking to share almost even in conversations, which is really interesting. Do you find that as well? I, I do. And I look for people like me in that mm-hmm. regard, because those are the people that I really tend to enjoy. If you wanted to extrapolate a little bit on something that Ray Dalio said, you know, he said that people think that their future is some small variation on the immediate past, as opposed to looking far back into the, you know, into history to understand that the future is probably drastically different than what you think it might be. And I've really come to believe uh, that life is really an illusion that you create. And we, we, we surround ourselves with things. We surround mm-hmm. ourselves with people. And then we tie it all up and bundle it together with thoughts and beliefs and head trash. And, and now that's our life, right? We have to go here. We have to do this. We have to do that. But the reality of it is an illusion that we created by the actions that we took and the decisions that we made. And if we wanted to make a different life tomorrow, you absolutely, I could walk out of here and I could never drive my truck home. I could, I could make a drastically different, I could say, I'm never going to do another podcast. Uh, Tomorrow can be drastically different. All I have to do is decide and commit to it. Now, I might still have bills to pay and things that I have to do. So yeah. there's a there's a limit to uh, you know imagining up your future, but nothing great happens in your life until you make a bold declaration. And the future informs the present, what matters the most. So when you when you understand that you know you you have to you can you can really envision a different powerful future for yourself, and the path to get there may not be as long as you think. That's super interesting. And it it even goes even building upon that too. Like you had mentioned what you kind of read and it's important what you consume because a lot of what you consume does impact your beliefs and your values and all of those things. And especially now with what we have in our hands and what we're doing right now, like it's, they can drastically impact what you do and what you watch and why you do those things. Absolutely. Yeah. Jeff, um, for people, first of all, who want to grab a, a copy of your book, Discernment, where's the best place people can do that? Because I think it's super important that people, you know, read all of your knowledge. And I mean, it's amazing what you've done. Where's the best place people can grab a copy? Just straight up Amazon, you know, feed the beast, man. That's, they, <laughs> they've got it. They can, they can have it to you tomorrow. Awesome. Well, I'll, uh, I'll share that link. And then if people wanted to follow along with you, learn more about, you know, your journey, what you're doing, what, what's coming up, where's it, where can everyone do that? Right. Go to jeffduden.com, J E F F D U D A N.com. And you can find there blogs and articles and uh, a lot of content that's written there. I have a podcast as well. The Jeff Duden show, the platform is all about entrepreneurial encouragement. So you can find all that there. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn or uh, feel free to email me if you want to talk to me, direct me at jeff at duden.me. Amazing. And Jeff, uh, let's end the show off this way. I feel like you got something good for me. So let's, let's end the show off with like a, a thought of the day. 
something that our audience can go home with? One thing or one thought to end the show. I, I will steal it uh, from. Uh, I was listening to a, a Tim Ferriss podcast. Okay. And I think it was Paul Mitchell who said, and I found this to be impactful. He said, in the end, everything's going to be okay. And if it's not okay, that must mean it's not the end. Wow. Love that. Keep trucking, right? Keep on trucking. Keep trucking. Jeff, can't thank you enough for coming on here, sharing your wisdom. Uh, It's a pleasure for me. I know it's a pleasure for everyone else listening, but I truly appreciate it. Oh, and it was great. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. And everyone, hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, hit that like button. Share this out with one person who you feel like would truly uh, impact, be impacted by listening to today's episode. We'll be back next week with another one. Until then, Colin Morgan signing off. And always remember to keep on grinding.